Listener Production. Hello and welcome to another episode of Huh? Science Explained, a weekly podcast brought to you by Listener and Cosmos. Today you've got me, Matt, and we're buzzing about a drug that many of us can't get through our day without. We're talking, of course, about caffeine. Oh, I am spent and it's only 9am. I had a good night's sleep, I think, a wholesome breakfast and I walked 15 minutes to the Cosmos newsroom. I should be up and about, yet here I am, foggy-brained, blurry-visioned, fidgety. The only thing I can think of is the fact that it's been over 24 hours since I've had a coffee. So how does caffeine work? Well, to start, caffeine is the common name we give to a white, odourless, bitter-tasting substance called 1,3,7-trimethylxanthine. It's made from a combination of carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, and oxygen, and it acts as a stimulant of our nervous system. What does that mean exactly? In essence, a stimulant is a drug that can increase the levels of particular chemicals in your brain and, in doing so, up your alertness, energy levels, attention, and physical activity. Some stimulants, like caffeine, are relatively low risk and not regulated to the extent of some others you've probably heard of, like nicotine, which is found in tobacco products, or pseudoephedrine, which is found in prescription medications. Many other stimulants are illegal, like cocaine or methamphetamine, for example. Caffeine occurs naturally in plants that give us feel-good products like coffee, tea and chocolate. It's also laced through plenty of fizzy drinks and higher doses are also put in energy drinks. All of these uses make caffeine the most widely used psychoactive in the world. It may even be the most widely used drug of any kind by human beings. Market research, commissioned by a coffee company no less, declared that coffee is crucial for the survival of more than one in four Australians who said they cannot survive the day without it. It also found the rate is higher among Gen X and Gen Y, with around one in three depending on their morning coffee hit. Three quarters of Australians have a coffee each day. So what is caffeine doing to our brains? First, we need to understand the way the brain performs some of its functions. Dotted on our big pink organic supercomputer's cells are things called receptors, proteins that bind with neurochemicals, which then triggers a response. Receptors are essential for the neurons to do their job of sending the important chemical and electrical signals that tell our brains how to keep our bodies going. One of these chemicals, called adenosine, is very important. It's involved in putting you to sleep, it gives your cells energy to function, and it's used to keep your body temperature just right. It also has a remarkably similar shape to caffeine. Remember this. Now, the receptor binding mechanism is sometimes compared to a lock and key. The chemical key fits into the receptor lock, which then triggers an action. But receptors are probably more like the kid who guards your backyard cubby house. If someone gets the password close enough 
and the guard likes the look of them, they'll get let in. And that analogy works here. Caffeine is close enough in shape that adenosine receptors will bind with it. Except that when caffeine binds with an adenosine receptor, it blocks the transmission of sleep messages and lets naturally occurring stimulants like dopamine and norepinephrine have greater effect on your brain. Suddenly, you're feeling much more perky. Over time, your brain starts to tolerate caffeine and builds more of these receptors to bind with the chemical. That's why you might find yourself upping your intake of espresso to have the same effect. If those adenosine receptors aren't blocked, adenosine will be able to start having its normal effect, helping to put you to sleep. So is caffeine addictive or are we just dependent on it? If we wind the clock back 20 years, we have two studies that delved into the effects of caffeine. In one, conducted by researchers from John Hopkins University, 16 people with caffeine dependence were administered pills with either starch or the exact level of caffeine they consumed each day. Across the group, there was a median intake of 357 milligrams of caffeine. Just three of the subjects consumed less than the US daily average. During this study, all were told to avoid very specific products, all containing caffeine, so they didn't top up their intake. This is the good bit. Those who were given the starch placebo were found to be functionally impaired for one and a half days. One person in a manufacturing job made costly errors Another couldn't bring herself to go to work, and a third reported spending an afternoon in a dark office with her head on the desk. Another called off her child's birthday. It might explain why I felt so average this morning then. In 2013, caffeine withdrawal was added to the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistic Manual of Mental Disorders. Another iconic piece of research was part of a bigger drug study conducted by NASA to determine the effect of certain chemicals. Now, this is a podcast, so you'll have to look up our story online for the images, but you may well have come across them before. They're images of spider webs. Spider webs woven by house spiders on drugs. Comparing a normally woven spider web to what happens when the spider gets high. A normal web is a polygon made from complex wedge shapes, and researchers observed the deformations that occurred on webs when spiders were fed various substances. Chemicals like marijuana and benzedrine, and amphetamine, still retained the elements of the classic orb web pattern. On the other hand, caffeine and a sedative called chloral hydrate are far more chaotic in their patterns. This study built upon other work done by a Swiss pharmacologist called Peter Witt. He spent years looking at how different drugs caused spider web deformities, producing very similar results across a range of trials to those done by NASA. Since then, a number of studies have found that caffeine produces behavioural and physiological effects that are similar to other drugs of dependence. For many of us who drink a couple of coffees a day, we could probably turn a coffee down. But doing so might also result in the onset of withdrawal symptoms, headaches, fatigue, brain fog, and wanting to lock yourself in a dark office with your head on a table. 
Some studies also suggest that regular, high levels of consumption could tip a person towards the definition of addiction, although the science on this isn't clear. But you're probably thinking, caffeine is supposed to have benefits as well, right? It's not all brain fog from withdrawal and helping your local barista get a down payment for a new Ferrari. And that's true. The most common effects of caffeine consumption are heightened alertness and energy levels. A study in 2021 fed caffeine to bees and found they were far more precise in pollinating specific flowers, helping highlight the ability of the chemical to arouse brain activity. There's also been plenty of research into what other benefits caffeine, specifically coffee, might give us. Studies suggest the risk of certain health conditions may be lowered by caffeine consumption, including type 2 diabetes, depression, Alzheimer's and Parkinson's diseases, and certain types of cancer. Black tea, which also contains caffeine, may help improve longevity, lower blood pressure, and have positive microbiome interactions. The point here is that both coffee and tea contain many other chemical compounds, not just caffeine. So it's important to keep in mind that caffeine isn't some kind of wonder drug. It's also important to keep in mind the risks of caffeine consumption. Health guidelines suggest a limit of 400 milligrams a day. That's 11 cans of Coke or 8 cans of Diet Coke, up to 5 cups of instant coffee, up to 4 cups of black tea, 8 cups of green tea, 4 600ml cartons of iced coffee, or up to 5 cans of energy drink, depending on the brand. It's just over 1 cup of espresso. In extreme cases, it can have dangerous effects. A report published in the British Medical Journal last year found a 21-year-old man suffered heart failure after reportedly drinking four cans of energy drink every day for two years. For context, he was consuming 1.6 times the Australian guideline recommended limit on a daily basis. It's also worth remembering, especially when it comes to drinks with a bit of fizz, there's more than just a caffeine hit with many other artificial chemicals and sugar inside the tin as well. If you're thinking about cutting back, it's probably best not to go cold turkey like I tried to do. Withdrawal symptoms suck. So most health groups tend to recommend a moderation-based approach. Keep track of the caffeine you consume each day and gradually reduce the amount you're having. Knocking back five cups a day, try dropping it down to four for one week and then eventually down to three. Some suggest keeping a daily diary might be helpful. Other recommendations include waiting an hour after waking up to have our first caffeine hit. In spite of what we might think, we don't need caffeine to wake up. Our bodies are very good at doing that for us. And on that note, I'm going to give my adenosine receptors what they want and make another coffee. For the latest in science news, don't forget to check out the science briefing also available here on the Listener app and head to cosmosmagazine.com for more science just like this. We'll be back again next time for another Huh? Science Explained. <laughs>